are going to continue in our series. We started this at the beginning of the year, and it's entitled Jesus Revealed. And the, the, it stems from a question that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, where he said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And um, obviously in that encounter in Matthew 16, Peter says, you're the Christ. There was a revelation that Peter had that came from God about who Jesus was. And um, this year we're pressing in for a deeper revelation of who Jesus really is. Because we believe that there's a greater measure of abundant life that we can access. The more we come into connection with who Jesus really is, the more we host the fullness of his presence, the more impact that we're going to have in terms of our own lives experiencing abundant life, but also we're going to be able to impact those in our spheres of influence with the authentic Jesus, with who he really is. We can only give away what we have, and we can only share with integrity the Jesus that we actually know. And that's why that question is so important. Who do you say he is? It's one thing for me to tell you who I think Jesus is, who I've experienced Jesus to be. It's another for you individually, whether you're listening on the podcast or you're here in person, who do you say he is? And, um, and so this year we felt like as a, t- a teaching team that we were supposed to go through the gospel of John and then the letters of John. And so we're going to put on John's glasses, right? We're going to put on those glasses and we're going to say, who does John reveal Jesus to be in the gospel of John and in his letters? And we've covered so far John chapter 1 all the way through John 4 verse 42. And in those four chapters or so, we've identified 49 revelation statements about who Jesus is. And we're keeping a master list and we'll have that available Obviously, in your newsletters, if you get them, you see the, the bullet points from week to week. But um, today, we're going to finish up John chapter 4, and we're going to jump into John chapter 5, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 4, verse 43, and it says this, after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Okay, so we'll pause for a second. Jesus is back in Capernaum. There's an official who comes and approaches him with a question. We don't know for sure if that official is Jewish or if it's a Gentile in nature. There's speculation on it. What we do know is that his son is dying. And he's coming to Jesus because he believes at some point that Jesus has the power to do something about this situation. He asked Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus makes an interesting phrase. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the man seems like 
It doesn't even register for him because how he, how he responds. He simply says, come down before my child dies. Like the man doesn't want to have an intellectual conversation. The man is saying, my son is dying. That's what I care about right now, right? And then Jesus is interesting. He doesn't go on with this thing about, oh, you need to see signs. What he says next is, go, your son will live. It's that simple. Jesus speaks a word of healing, a word of life over this man's son. It's just a word. It says, go, your son will live. And the official, he believes what Jesus says because he starts going home. He doesn't ask any more questions, according to John, right, from the passage. We don't know if there's any other part of this interaction, but from the text, all we see is he asks for his son to be healed, and Jesus says, go, he will be healed. What a step of faith. We see a lot of faith in this official that we never know his name, we never know his story, we don't know anything else about this man. Verse 51, it goes on, and it says, as he was going down, so as the official was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So the man's going on his way home, and he, some of his servants or whatever meet him, and they say, hey, we have great news. Your son's getting better. His health is improving. And the man says, when did it start happening? When did you first notice that he was starting to get better? And they said, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And the man knew that's the exact time that Jesus spoke that word, go, your son's going to be okay. What's the fruit of this interaction between Jesus and this official? Well, the fruit is that the official and all his household believe in Jesus. Again, we don't know any rest of the story. We don't know what happens with this family, with this grouping of people. We don't know anything. All we know is we see this interaction that they had with Jesus, and it gives us a clue into the power and the authority that Jesus has that with a word, he can heal from a distance. He didn't need to go there. We see him in other situations where he goes. He lays hands on, he speaks, he declares, right? And he's really close proximity. In this situation, he tells the man, go home, it's done. And the man finds out that exactly when Jesus spoke that word was when his son started getting better. That's amazing. John chapter 5. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. All right, so we're back in Jerusalem. We're at this pool of Bethesda, and many individuals are sitting around this pool, and they're all in desperate need of a healing miracle. Some are blind, some are lame, some are paralyzed. If you look at your Bible, tell me if you have verse 4. Do you have a verse 4? 
It's interesting, right? And so um, the reality is I've been going through using the ESV this year. I felt like God said, use the ESV. And so I look and I see there's no verse 4. So I go back to NASB, which is what I usually use. There's no verse 4. I'm like, what happened to verse 4? So if you go to the King James, um, you'll find verse 4. And I'm going to read it for you. It says, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease that he had. If you look in the NIV, it's in a footnote, right? So there's speculation. Was this in the original text or not, right? We're not going to decide that today. All the reality is that verse 4 helps make verse 7 make sense, and we'll get there in a second. But um, there was one man in verse 5 who had been there an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Isn't that an interesting question? He's at the pool of Bethesda where people come to get healed if they can make it into the water in time. Yet Jesus asked him the question, do you want to be healed? It's curious. Again, he's been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus saw him and knew that he had been there a long time. How he knew that, we don't know, right? But for whatever reason, Jesus had that insight, and he asked that question. Verse 7 says, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Right? So can you see without verse 4, that sort of sounds a little strange, right? So it's interesting. All that being said is, the man doesn't ask, answer Jesus' question directly. He doesn't say, yes, I want to be healed, or no, I love being an invalid, right? He says this. He says, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up. I never get there in time. I can't make it. Somebody always gets there in front of me. It's a sense of hopelessness, Right? Imagine, now we don't know, it says he's been an invalid for 38 years. We don't know how long he's been sitting by this pool. We know it's been a long time. How many individuals, well, I should say this. We don't know how often does the angel come and stir the water, right? How often does that happen? We have no clue. But we do know that many other individuals have gone into the water and been healed in front of this man. We can get that from how he's talking. He feels like a victim of his circumstances, Right? And how does Jesus respond to him? It's very curious. Verse 8, it says, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. It's very straightforward. It's very simple. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus doesn't sympathize with his story. He doesn't empathize with all that he's had to go through over the years while he's sitting around the pool. Right? Um, he doesn't focus on can't or apparent lack. It's one thing I, I see in my own relationship with Jesus. Whenever he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to talk about can't because there's nothing impossible with our God. He doesn't want to talk about apparent lack because with him, he, we have all the resources that we need. He's an abundant God. He has all provision, Right? of every substance of heaven that we could ever have. And in this scenario, what I see Jesus doing is that he's demonstrating compassion, but it looks like power and action. 
His compassion for this man is, get up. You've been sitting around this pool too long because you think the only way to get healed is to get in the water before someone else when the water stirred. The reality is there is a God who can heal you in a moment. That power rests inside of me and I'm releasing it to you. So get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once, verse 9, the man's healed. Think about that for a second. I don't know if anybody in this room has a condition you've had for 38 years. You may, right? 38 years. It's a long time. In an instant, it's all changed. Not because you made it to the pool. Because this man standing in front of you, who you have no idea who he is, told you to get up, pick up your bed, and walk. At once the man was healed, he took up his bed, and he walked. What's the fruit? He's healed. He can carry his bed, and he can walk. (laughs) The end of verse 9 is interesting. It says, now that day was the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work. On the Sabbath, that would include you're not supposed to carry a mat or a bed. Doesn't it seem like Jesus sets him up? Was Jesus ignorant that it was the Sabbath? No. God had a different agenda. We've already said this before, that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He only spoke what he heard the Father saying. Right? It seems like he's taking this man out of the frying pan and putting him into the fire. Because as we go on, verse 10 says, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. And it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Well, who is this man who said that to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. I was curious. He's busted. This man who had been an invalid for 38 years, the very first thing he does, he's just following directions. And they say, you can't do what, it's unlawful for you to do what you're doing. It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. And imagine being the man. 38 years, you just got healed. You're just trying to do what the guy said who healed you. Busted, right? Um, The man who healed me told me to do this. And they say, who's the man? He's like, I don't know. I have no idea. It's just a guy, right? And Jesus is nowhere to be found. It's one of the most interesting encounters in the scriptures. I do believe Jesus knew it was the Sabbath. And I think he also knew what kind of response the man was going to get. Because Jesus was not just there to heal a man that day. He was doing something that was on the Father's heart, which was touching a long-standing tradition of the Jewish people. Verse 14, it says, Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So he has this final, this encounter with Jesus, recognizes that's who it is. 
And I think it's, it's fun that Jesus goes and he pursues the man. He finds him in the temple. We don't know why Jesus sort of left town after he healed him, right? He, he just went into the crowd somewhere. There, there, it seems like that interaction with the, the Pharisees or the Jewish leaders needed to happen. And Jesus says, see, you are well. And then it's curious. He says, sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. What was the doorway for this individual's physical illness? Jesus seems like he's making a case that it's sinful behavior. That somewhere in this individual's life, there was some sinful behavior that opened a door for this physical condition to come in. Right? We don't get the details. We don't know any of the backstory. We know that this is not the only time that this has been recorded, a similar type thing in Scripture. We also know this is not the only way that somebody has a physical condition, right? So let me give you a little bit of those, right? Um, we're not trying to make a doctrine about um, why people are sick. But the reality is we see in the Scriptures that Jesus is enlightening us, right? And so if you think about the friends of the paralytic, right, who lowered their friend down through the roof, what did Jesus say to that man? He, he marked it at the friend's faith, but what did he say to him? He said, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say be healed. The first thing that he spoke to that man who was in a similar condition, he was a paralytic, he said, your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees who were in the room, they're like, who is he? He can't forgive sins, right? He doesn't have the authority to forgive sins. What gives him the right? And he says, well, let me show you. Which is easier? To say to this man that your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. And he said, so that you know that I have the power and the authority to forgive sins, he tells the man to get up and walk, and he does. Right? It's just another encounter where we see that sinful behavior, which we know, right, the wages of sin, this is in Romans, the wages of sin is death, right? And so part of death or dying is physical illness in our bodies, right? So it can be an entryway. Why it's, it's not always that is we see that there was a man born blind, right? Who his disciples asked, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Was like, was it him in the womb? Was it him, um, like his parents from the ancestry, right? And Jesus says, no, nobody sinned. It's all for the glory of God. So this miracle could happen in this man's life, right? A man born blind was healed. Right? Another would be Lazarus. Right? Lazarus dies. We don't know the situation about what made him sick or all that kind of stuff, but we do know that Jesus waits for so, such a long period of time, and he says, it's for the glory of God that you would be able to see the power of God manifest in a new way that Lazarus is raised up from the dead. Right? All that being said is that... Um, we don't know the reason for every sickness, but one possibility, if you have physical sickness in your body, would be to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything that I'm doing or have done that has allowed this to enter into my body? If he gives you something, then deal with it. If he doesn't, don't make something up. Don't try to create something, right? Trust him. Listen to his voice. Maybe he'll say simply, I love you. Or maybe like this man, he'll say, get up and walk, right? We want to hear what Jesus says to us personally about what's going on in our lives. Um, the man, he goes back to the Jews and he tells them that Jesus was the one who healed him. 
And I think it's also interesting, we hear nothing else about this man. There's nothing else recorded in the scriptures about this individual. It never says that he believed in Jesus, right? It never says that he became a follower of Jesus. We have no idea of the fruit of this miracle other than a man that was an invalid for 38 years is no longer an invalid. That's the fruit that we see. Verse 16, it goes on and it says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So the Jews were persecuting Jesus. So you could say that's another fruit of this encounter. But they're persecuting Jesus because he's healing on the Sabbath. And you weren't supposed to heal on the Sabbath. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And yet the reality, the law was you were not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Period. Again, Jesus, he only does what he sees the Father doing. And so Jesus reveals the Father's heart in a new and fresh way to this people group. And he's healing. He's saying healing is okay on the Sabbath. But the Jewish officials... They only see the letter of the law. It's a filter that they're looking through. It's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. So we're not going to hold it against them. But the reality is they had been taught, you don't do this on the Sabbath or anything like that. No work on the Sabbath. Nothing that would be considered work on the Sabbath. Period. There's no excuses. There's no, there's no, um, what do you call that? Exceptions. No exceptions. Why did they want to kill Jesus? It says they persecuted him because he was healing on the Sabbath. Why did they want him dead? It says, John says, because Jesus was calling God his own father, which made him equal to God. They didn't like that. So who's the Jesus revealed in John chapter 4, 43 to 5, 18? So I, I think I want two, three, six, six for today. Jesus is the one who heals in a moment with a word from a distance. It's one thing about who he is. He can heal in a moment with a word from a distance. That's a powerful thing. That gives me a lot of hope. If I hear about somebody in another part of the country or another part of the world who has a a sickness or an illness or something going on in their lives, the power of the prayer, there's no space and time. Jesus proves it right here. He can heal with a word from a distance. He says, come follow me. It gives us clue that we can pray in a similar manner to release healing, to release um, deliverance, to release life into people, whether we're there or not. Jesus is the one who meets you in your long-standing condition. Isn't that beautiful? So if you've experienced something for years, you've wrestled with it, you've asked all the questions, why, right? There's been no answers. There's been no understanding. There's, no, there's nothing that you can point to to say, this is the reason. 
Jesus is the one who comes along and he meets you in that place. That's really, really good news. Um, Jesus is the one who manifests compassion in power and action. He doesn't just say, woe is you. (laughs) Pat, pat. Let me cry with you. We see Jesus wept, right? But he also, sometimes his compassion, it res, it's, it's connected with power and action. I see this with the, um, the widow of Nain. Um, her son was dead. And it says, Jesus was filled with compassion. What does he do? Does he come over to the woman and hug her and say, I'm so sorry about your son? No. He touches him and man gets up. And this dead boy is now alive. It's compassion with power and action. And we see that in this situation as well. Jesus is the one who heals in a moment with a command. He said to the man simply, get up. Pick up your bed and walk. And he does. After 38 years. It would have been amazing if it was one year. It would have been amazing if he had just gotten into a chariot accident and he crushed his legs the day before and Jesus said, get up, and he was healed. But it was 38 years, his, ultimately his whole life, what he had known, right? Um, and Jesus, with a word in a moment, a command, he's healed. Jesus is the one who reveals the Father's heart regarding the Sabbath And I add long-standing tradition. He's revealing that the Sabbath was sacred. It goes back to Moses, right? It was a significant part of the law. The Jewish people since the beginning, right? Not since Abraham, but since Moses. The Mosaic law is established in there, right? We can even go back to Genesis and we can see that God rested on the seventh day, right? So you can look at it. The, the reality is, are there traditions in your life and my life? The things that you've always done, or maybe it's a part of our church, right? Those kinds of things, right? Or maybe if you're part of a, a denomination, it's always been established. That's what we do, right? And the reality is, um, is there, is there th- those kinds of traditions or established things that were established to honor God? Like, it, it never was that they were trying not to honor God. They were trying to honor God. They were trying to do it the right way. And yet the reality is they missed the mark in capturing the Father's heart. Because Jesus revealed the Father's heart. Jesus revealed what the Father was doing. And the Father was healing on the Sabbath. But everybody who was a follower of God in the Jewish faith were not healing on the Sabbath because they had deemed it's not appropriate to heal on the Sabbath. You can heal them the next day. And the Father says, no, that's not who I am. I'm going to release healing every day. Right? Um, Part of us for today is, will you give God permission to shine his light and just see, is there any traditions in your life, any longstanding things that you've held on to that he's saying, I know that you established that or that's in your life because you want to honor me. But the reality is you're missing the mark of my heart. I want to know that for myself, right? And I think that's something if you, if you desire, you can press into that with the Holy Spirit and say, would you just shine your light? Show me. 
right? Expose it that I can change. The last one for today, I think, is uh, probably one of the most powerful ones, is Jesus is God. He's God. Significant. As we've been doing um, every week, as we've looked at these kinds of revelation statements, we ask the question again, who do you say Jesus is? You personally. Do you just know about these truths, right? Because you read it in scripture before. Or do you know Jesus as these truths? Is it your experience? Are there aspects regarding these truths about Jesus that you want to press in and know more? Where you're like, I'm curious about that. I haven't experienced that. I want to step in. I want to learn more about that. And part of that would be to go back to the passage that we just read And you say, okay, Holy Spirit, show me more. Jesus, give me wisdom. I need to know more about this. Will you reveal that part of yourself to me? Because I haven't experienced that. Or have questions about that. It's okay to ask questions, right? Can you share the Jesus revealed in John 4, 43 to 518 with integrity to those in your sphere of influence? And if not, why not? Again, that's not a condemning thing. It's just a question. Maybe there's a block. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's past disappointment with issues of healing, right? We looked at two situations where there was healing. Maybe there's past disappointment where you prayed for something. You thought it was going to happen a certain way, and it didn't. So it's hard for you to go back into that, to dare to trust again. That Jesus would say, um, you know, you're going to do the same works as me and even greater works. We'll get there. What do you do with that? <laughs> right? Um, what would be blocking you from knowing the fullness of Jesus revealed in these verses? That's what we're after. And are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to take you deeper into encountering the fullness of who Jesus really is? And that's our goal this year. We want to look at the scriptures through the lens of John and we want to pull out these truths about who Jesus identifies himself to be. What do we see him saying? What do we see him doing? And then do we believe it for today as followers of Jesus? Right? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for um, just who you are. I thank you how you reveal the Father's heart. And um, that you push past persecution and um, just uh, anything that would uh, come against you, right, in order to reveal the truth of the Father's heart. And Lord, I pray that today that we wouldn't miss what you're doing or what you're saying. And that as we, um, as we read through this passage of Scripture and we see these encounters with um, just powerful demonstrations of healing, one from a distance and one in person, um, we just, we pray, Jesus, for us to have a fresh revelation of what you would say about that to us personally. And what does that mean for our own lives? And I pray that if anybody's wrestling with physical illness today, Lord, we, we pray for a release of your healing. We pray for wisdom and discernment around the issues. Um, I thank you that, um, that you are a God who still heals. And we give you glory in that. We've seen it. We have testimonies, right? And we celebrate that. Thank you that you can heal from a distance and you can heal right here. (laughs) 
And we give you glory in that. And then, Lord, I do, I pray that if there are any um, traditions or are any things that we've been established as sort of our routine, how we do it in a way to honor and glorify you that actually isn't honor and glorifying to you, would you just expose that? in your mercy, and then would you give us grace to know what does it look like to, to do something different, to lay that down? Yeah. We just want your heart. We want to know you more. And Jesus, we declare the truth that you are God. You are God. And that's really good news. And we can rest in that truth today. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. We just ask that you would seal this word, that you would utilize it to accomplish all that you desire um, to produce through it. That in our lives and the lives of those in our spheres of influence, that um, we truly would represent you authentically to those that you bring into our lives. And that your name and your fame would go forth across this county and across this nation and to the nations. And we just give you all the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen.